Hi, welcome to Cinema Scene. I'm Noel T. Manning II, hanging out, talking movies, as we always do right here on Cinema Scene. Got a very special guest today. Who are you, sir, and why are you here? Uh, Casey Delahanty. I'm uh, the Global Studies Director here at Gardner-Webb. Um, and I'm here to talk about a paper that we did, uh, uh, coding torture in popular movies. So there you go. So we're going to be talking an academic paper, but it's covering topics relating to films. And uh, you and I have talked a little bit about this before, but we haven't had a chance to talk about this on the air. And uh, happy to have you here, man. Thanks for thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, this project is not something you did alone. No. Um, you had a, a co-author. Yes. Uh, so my co-author, Aaron Carnes, from the University of Alabama, uh, is a really fantastic criminologist who, who helped me out with this uh, paper idea and was invaluable. So. So, so tell me about looking at torture in film. And, and there's a subtitle, I guess, to the paper as well, <laughs> correct? So uh, the full title of the paper is, Wait, There's Torture in Zootopia? Examining the Prevalence of Torture in Popular Movies. Okay. So the subtitle is actually what, what most people would think of as right. a title. So uh, so Zootopia had torture. Now, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but talk about your process of coming up with this idea, and then we'll talk about how many films you explored. So I'll tell you, the, the original idea for it kind of came from a, a Batman video game that I was playing. And I really enjoyed it. It was great, but one of the one of the parts of it was that you had to hunt down these like Riddler trophies, and you had to find some nameless goon that works for the Riddler and like beat the information out of him of where this thing was. And because it was the last thing I'd left to do, I had to just ride around Gotham, just like beating up nameless goons. And it was, I had to quit the game because I felt horrible about it psychologically. Right. And I also started thinking about like, what does this do? to our conception of like this practice that exists how do we think about how it works and, and whether it works and so on and so forth and got me to this larger question um that i've always been a little bit uh, uh confused by which is in uh most public opinion polling uh around half of americans support in some instances the u.s government torturing people um, and that's always been kind of perplexing since generally voters don't like human rights abuse. Right. And also, uh, most experts will tell you that to the degree that torture can be useful at gathering, say, information, you get 10 times as much false information or people just telling you what you, what you want to know. Right. Um, so uh, one of the 9-11 uh, sort of mastermind guys that we... Uh, took to Guantanamo and tortured quite a bit, ended up giving up false stories about like terror cells in Montana and all these things that people had to chase down. Right. So um, one of the motiv motivating questions uh, stemmed from this idea of why do people think that torture is effective or okay. a government policy that we should engage in, given that most experts on it say that it doesn't work. Okay. Um, so I ended up turning to maybe it's because the way we conceive of torture specifically is informed by popular culture more so than like real life policy okay. and practice. Uh, so we looked at how, how is torture portrayed in popular movies generally because it was like the, the best, the most containable part of pop culture right. that I could actually sort of analyze. Right. Um, and, and generally come to find that, that yes, movies portray uh, torture is overwhelmingly effective. Okay. But they also sort of give off some conditionality as to when and why torture is acceptable mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, under certain circumstances. And they also sort of tell us a bit about who is 
uh, who are the victims of torture? And, and, and some of the uh, uh, outlets of that we found pretty fascinating. And uh, when did you begin this actual project looking at the films? So I think we started coding films. Uh, so, so we looked at the top 20 movies by box office every year from 2008 to 2017. So we okay. 200 movies in the sample. Um, all of which we watched and we coded every single instance of torture in that. Now, explain what coding is for those. Oh, uh, sorry about that. So, um, so, yeah, basically we were trying to form a, uh, a quantitative description of each scene, right? Like, So we established 33 different variables about the, each individual scene, whether or not there was a public official involved or... Uh, the gender and race of perpetrators and victims, so on and so forth, uh, the, the type of torture involved, so okay. whether, whether or not it was instrumental in terms of trying to get information or get somebody to do something or whether it was more to punish, so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, so we started this project in November of 2017, okay. I think. Okay. And it took us probably a year and a yeah. half to watch all the movies and wow. another six months, eight months or so, whatever. Wow. Math is left in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, to to write up the paper and get it sent out and everything. Yeah. Like that, so. so, what were some of the things that you found surprising? You looked at two hundred films, uh, everything from uh, animated films to action films to probably drama. I mean, what were the so. My expectation was that we would, you know, we're used to knowing about torture occurring in sort of the Zero Dark Thirty and 24 right. type movies. Yes. Um, and one of the things I really wanted to go into was, well, th- those kinds of movies are such a small slice of the overall pop culture that we kind of like uh, uh, intake Yeah. that it doesn't give us a good sense of like, what is the scope of torture in pop culture generally? Okay. Uh, so by kind of dividing up the sample into popular films. Right. Um, so for example, Zero Dark Thirty, I think in its year was like the 35th most popular film. So that doesn't even show up. Right. So that's actually not even in our data set. The overwhelming majority of our data set is PG-13 movies that tend to be either like superhero movies or the kind of what I call the teen flavor of the month movie right. of like the <laughs> yeah. Twilights and yep. um, uh, Hunger Games and yep. so on and so forth. Yeah, the dystopian future right. kinds of things as well. Yeah. Um, and then like a lot of children's animated movies. Yeah. And I was surprised to find out how prevalent torture is in children's animated movies. Okay. Um, but, so, and it's a different, it's different kinds of torture, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not as, as, uh, let's say graphic or, yeah. or maybe gory in the right. same way that a, that a torture scene from like an R movie might be. Yeah. Um, children's movies are big on dropping people off of things or okay. threatening to drop right. people off of yeah. things. Um, so specifically in the, in the, the torture scene uh, in Zootopia that we kind of take the title from, uh, which is actually one of Aaron's, uh, my co-author's students, Apparently exclaimed, "Wait, there's torture in Zootopia." <laughs> that's, like, that's a good title. <laughs> right, that's exactly. A good title. No, we're taking it. <laughs> um, so uh, it is. They're trying to find out like the origin of these berries that make animals act like animals, um, and they find this weasel, and they go to this mob boss who says, "Ice him," and he gets yeah. his polar bear goons to like hold the weasel over this like ice pit that will we assume kill the weasel, and there's a lot of just like. It's a way to show, I suppose, the direness of the situation right. and the the fraught state that they're being right. put in without actually having to and 
be very violent. And so the the torture that you uh, explored is not just physical, it's mental torture as yes. well. So um, we started with the UN definition from the uh, Convention Against Torture to define okay. what torture means. Um, and I, I will tell you, because we're working in universes that don't actually exist, we ended up having to do a lot of... St- uh, a lot of conversation about how exactly are we going to sort of draw lines right. on what we count as torture versus, say, just violence. Right, right. right. Um, so if I can give you, like, the specific definition. Um, essentially, torture for us was uh, intentional pain that is uh, either psychological or physical applied to a specific unwilling, anthropomorphized being. <laughs> so, so if I went to a spelling bee and I couldn't spell the anthropomorphized <laughs> being, I'd still be okay. So effectively, the victim has to be able to communicate. <laughs> gotcha. Right? Okay. Um, because there was a few scenes in which, like, um, torture is being applied, but the victim isn't anthropomorphized. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a scene from uh, one of the Spongebob movies where they torture a tire and it's right. like played for laughs, yeah. right? Because look at these idiots trying yeah. to torture information out of a tire. Yeah. But we still had to sort of make a decision on like, eh, this is good. so that's excluded because gotcha. a tire's a tire. It doesn't right. communicate. <laughs> um, and not even in Spongebob. Right, exactly. Right. Um, although that follows on the heels of a scene where there's a computer that is anthropomorphized okay. and is itself tortured. And that scene is counted. Okay. So okay. Uh, communication was the right. real sort of the uh, – There's likewise, there's a scene in uh, one of the Planet of the Apes movies – where it's it's I think the first Planet of the Apes movies where mm-hmm. they're becoming scary ape society, right? Um, and uh, one of the animal handlers who's a uh, 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 Draco Malfoy in the Harry Potter, like I, I can't remember the actor's <laughs> yeah. name, but it's the same guy. Um, and all these apes are in the cages, and he takes like a stun gun thing and he applies it to all the cages, and all the apes get shocked, right? right. Um, well, that's before they get the drugs, the apes. That's the before the apes get the drugs that allow them to, like, communicate on a human level. So we decided, well, that scene, that's animal abuse. Okay. Because they cannot, uh, okay. at a human level, communicate yet. Interesting. Okay. So anyway, as I say, there's a lot right. of code, yeah. a lot more coding decisions than we really anticipated. Okay. Um, but also, so the victim cannot be um, actively, like, resisting or posing a threat to the torture, uh, to the torturer and cannot actively remove themselves. So we had to make a decision, for example, on, like, frat hazing. Like, is frat okay. hazing? Tor- mm-hmm. could, because, especially in, um, I think, Neighbors, yeah. like, yep. the, the hazing is, you know, played for comedic effect, but, right. like, forcing a person to do some of that right. is like, torture. Right. Um, but there's a scene in which one of them says, this is, a, this is too much, I can't take this anymore, and um, not James Franco, uh, the little or Franco. Uh, yeah, little Franco. Dave, little Franco. Fr- Dave Franco. Yes, Dave Franco. Right. Dave Franco takes him aside. <laughs> oh, you know, it's okay. I mean, if you can leave if you want to. And this ended up being like, well, I mean, they have the opportunity they have the to choice. voluntarily remove themselves from the gotcha. situation. Okay. It, um, so, uh, and we also didn't include off-screen torture that is mentioned, but mm-hmm. we don't see don't the see results. It. Gotcha. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, that ended wow. up being kind of our definition yeah. but yeah. Uh, it was an interesting process wow. getting there yeah so so you're not just watching them but but also taking the notes or coding all the different things and then afterwards going okay how are we going to classify this yes i i am still um 
unwinding my uh, natural tendency that was formed right. to now every time I see a torture scene, I yep. feel like I need to pause it and like open the computer <laughs> exactly. up. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it was very interesting. It, um, it ended up being very deliberative, the process. So mm-hmm. for example, like watching Django Unchained took me maybe five and a half hours. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Um, they are the, they had the most amount of torture scenes wow. as Django yeah. with yeah. I think 14. Wow. Um, but yeah, so we had to code every single variable and write a nice text description of the mm-hmm. scene. Um, and this becomes a little problematic because at some points you, you find that like uh, some of these scenes were not meant to be thought about too much. Right. Um, there's a scene from one of the Transformers movies where a robot chokes another robot on the moon. And there's so many things that don't make sense about that. Yeah. That like right. <laughs> to think about yeah, like yeah. robots don't have windpipes. Why is it choking <laughs> them? And they're on the moon anyway. They can't breathe. Like, <laughs> so you have to check, you know, you have to check it, you know, check your brain at the door for some of these. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, you have to put yourself within the environment and the, uh, the world in right. which you're, you're seeing. Gotcha. Um, but it was really fascinating. And we did see some, uh, some real overall patterns both in uh, how, as I say, how effective torture was portrayed. So um, across all movies, uh, instrumental torture, which is torture meant to extract information or force somebody to do, mm-hmm. force someone to do something, mm-hmm. is effective seventy-two percent of the time. Oh, wow! Um, and that's even including people who weren't capable of complying and were tortured anyway. So, like. Okay. Overall, torture is portrayed as like a pretty effective way to get right. the thing that you want. In, in the films, right. right. Yeah. Um, second, we also see uh, one of the things that we really looked at was uh, we played off a bit of the difference between protagonists and antagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually went to Blake Snyder's Save the Cat yes. to, to, to integrate how we think about protagonists and antagonists in the film. And whereas protagonists sort of affirm our values... And this is kind of why we like them. We can identify with them. They, we see that they value some of the th- same things that we value. And their ultimate success is rewarding because we say, oh, wow, this person who adheres to these values we think are important wins. And, like, right. that's great. <laughs> um, and so our, our, our feelings toward that person torturing mm-hmm. may be different. Right. So, so um, when a protagonist tortures, it only sort of works for us as the audience if we can understand the reasons, mm-hmm. right? Or if we can understand that, oh, they were forced into doing this or, or, oh, they're only doing sort of what is necessary to accomplish these goals that we see as, as valuable or necessary. Um, so, for example, torture uh, uh, protagonists are much more likely to torture in response to a threat, mm-hmm. um, whereas antagonists almost never uh, torture in response to a threat. And this is this idea, this idea that we often think about when we think about the the torture as a public policy question is, well, you know, oh, it's the ticking time bomb mm-hmm. scenario. This is normally a thing that we would not do. However, these are extenuating circumstances. Right. The threat exists, and we must do this to counter it. Um, and one of our thoughts was that this is a, hey, most experts in the field will tell you that there aren't really many ticking time bomb scenarios the way that we tend to draw them up. Right. It's just sort of an unrealistic scenario to posit. But it is so central in our conversation about torture, mm-hmm. in part because, like, it's a scene that we see a million yes. times, right? Like, yeah. how many times have we seen um, in a movie, in a TV show, yeah. so on and so forth, like, 
the bomb's about to go off. Absolutely. This person knows the information, and we just need to do what's necessary to get it out of them. Yeah, and it's, I call that the um, the ticking time bomb of the week on TV. Because oh, uh, right. you look at any kind of episodic TV that relates to action, spies, government, mm-hmm. um, you know, the procedural police dramas, almost every week there is one of these showing up mm-hmm. and uh, last time you and I talked I, I mentioned one I don't remember if it was if it was blind spot or blacklist mm-hmm. but you know recently another one of those popped up in blind spot or blacklist it's like how many times can you do this but we still are drawn into it and it's, we still know they're <laughs> you know, gonna figure it out and and I wonder how much of this is just sort of like that's a really compelling film moment. Right, like that it just works as a film thing, and maybe this is why we lean on it so much. But um, I was fascinated. Uh, about 60% of the movies that we watched had at least one torture scene. Wow. And that's including, like, all the kids' movies, although, you know, yeah. most of the movies in our sample are not our movies. Right. Um, so I was really fascinated. Yeah. Um, so we didn't have that many just straight G movies in the sample. I think we had seven. But yeah. among those, we had nine torture scenes. Wow. Um, I think uh, three or four of them coming from one, the the final Shrek movie. Yeah. Which uh, that was, was notable in that they had the only post-credits torture scene. Right. Yeah. Um, that was one of the more disturbing to me also. Uh, but uh, so it, it's really fascinating how prevalent torture is and how efficacious it seems yeah, to be. Yeah. And you talk about Shrek and that, that example was played for pure laughs oh, and yeah. nothing else. Absolutely. Um, is it so, a gingerbread man? No, it was uh, Rumpelstiltskin okay, is, is okay. sort of um, the the example I'm thinking of in the post credit scene. But yeah, throughout the movie, Rumpelstiltskin has this goose. And it's like the thing he loves in the world is this pet goose that it just like puts above everything. And, you know, Rumpelstiltskin is a bad guy in the film. And he does, you know, whatever, Rumpelstiltskin bad things. <laughs> at, the very, <laughs> at the very end of the movie, they're playing the credits. And they're playing that song that is at the credits of every Shrek movie. And Rumpelstiltskin is in, like, a little birdcage-looking thing. Like, he's looking sad. And here's, like, Shrek and Fiona off to the side, and they're hanging out. And a little bird lands on Shrek's finger. And a weird thing that is established in previous Shrek movies is that when Fiona sings, birds explode. It's never really explained, but it is, like, canon that this is a thing. And she knows that this is a thing, which, like... You would think you would be horrified at this and you would never sing again, yeah. but like this is not South Fiona. <laughs> um, so Fiona sees both the little bird that lands on, on Shrek's finger as well as Rumpelstiltskin's big goose that is also like a couple feet away. She sees both things. You see her on film see both things, and she decides to sing. Both birds explode, and then the next shot is like a cut to Rumpelstiltskin like basically crying as his prized pet goose feathers just like rain down upon him and everyone laughs at him yeah this is one of the more horrifying scenes to me (laughs) because like i'm a pet lover (laughs) i love it like and just the act of just like needless destruction of 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 someone's pet right in front of them and like that that's played for laughs or even written in it it was fascinating to me so um so yeah it ends up getting included because i can't understand another reason why you're Murdering someone's pet. Yeah, especially when they're in a cage. <laughs> right. and them. Yeah, they can't prison. remove. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it ends up taking all our boxes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it is, especially in kids' movies, you often see torture played for laughs yeah. in an odd way. Um, but, you know, to me, that doesn't surprise me as I think back to 
the Looney Tunes cartoons. Oh, yeah. As I was growing up. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they'd been around long before I was growing up, but I just remember being raised on those. Right. Everything from Bugs Bunny to, you know, uh, the the Coyote and the Roadrunner. And so many of those, there are scenes. Yeah. I mean, especially Bugs Bunny. I mean, how many times is Elmer Fudd trying to, to torture or, or kill or cook the, the <laughs> rabbit, you know? <laughs> That that was actually also an interesting sort of coding decision that we had to make. Is like, what is the difference between, like, um, I think it was like a Lord of the Rings movie or something like that, where they where they got captured by like a troll that okay. tried to like cook and eat them, and then we had this question of like, well, is it torture or are you just cooking a thing? Like, am right. I torturing a lobster when I toss it in the pot? Right. Uh, again, like so said, again, another coding issue. I, I've had question. I've had the most. <laughs> The, the weirdest decisions and right. conversations with my co-author about like cutting yeah. issues. And maybe <laughs> as I think about Looney Tunes, it's, it's more of the violence because there was a yeah. lot of violence in it and maybe it wouldn't necessarily cross into the torture category. Well, well, absolutely. But to that point, one of the interesting sort of thoughts that we have on this project maybe going forward is to look at whether this is a pre or post 9-11, uh, whether this is a post 9-11 phenomenon that okay. torture is so prevalent. Okay. In movies, um, because in some senses that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like we started really talking about torture as a public conversation post 9-11, post Guantanamo. Um, at the same time, you know, I can think back to plenty of movies pre 9-11 that yeah. have quite a bit of torture in it. I mean, yeah. and as you say, like Looney Tunes is chock full. Yeah. Like all my Saturday morning cartoons right. were just chock full of violence. Yeah. So. I'm not quite sure as the answer of yeah. that question, right? I'm actually very, very interested as to whether this has just been a perpetual thing in movies right. um, or whether this is sort of a more recent yeah. phenomenon. Yeah, and, you know, we've talked about uh, violence and media and the impact of, you know, which has the which has a greater impact? Is it the violence having the impact on media or is it the media having the impact on violence? And that's just kind of been this ongoing question for so many years you know, going back, uh, especially going back to the 80s mm. when uh, the video games and the arcades and those kind of things were, were you know, in play. Right. And, you know, you'd go and you'd blow up people and beat the crap out of people, as you talked about doing with the Batman games. Yeah. So it's the conversation relating to violence in media has been around for, for a long, long time. Yeah, and it's it's odd to sort of find myself on on this end of it because I've always been kind of a skeptic in in the you know media makes you violent sort of conversation, um, especially as a person who likes to play video games. Like I I like to play Grand Theft Auto and stuff, yeah. which is which is renowned as the very controversial one. Right. And people say, oh, you can do all these horrible things. And I said, well, you can also play golf. Like yeah. that's kind of your choice <laughs> yeah. that you get to make. Yeah. Um, but one there's of the some things, violence on golf courses too. <laughs> you know? Fair point. Uh, I have played golf and I have tossed a club or two. Um, but uh, one of the things that we kind of leaned on was that this kind of depends on your personal experience with the issue. Okay. So um, for the most part, when we are dealing with sort of situations that we see in movies, if it's a situation that we're kind of used to or or familiar with, it may not change sort of our opinion or our reaction in mm-hmm. those situations, right? Like. Uh, paying taxes, right? Like everybody pays taxes. Everybody has their own opinion on taxes, and a movie about taxes is not necessarily going to change my opinion, right? Like right. I know how I pay my tax, right? <laughs> um, conversely, a movie about torture, like thankfully, most people don't have any firsthand experience with torture or how it works, and so um, in communications theory, we find that uh, people tend to lean on 
uh, when they don't have a first experience, firsthand experience with an issue, they tend to lean on pop culture or secondhand mm-hmm. stories that they get. Right? Like, how would I react in X situation? Well, I saw a movie once that seemed realistic, right? Like, um, how many people think that they're crime experts because they watched The Wire, right? Like, um, it's it's this degree to which we collect information, mm-hmm. even on things that we don't necessarily have firsthand experience with. Right. Um, and it can be hard not to lean on film. So um, the the late Supreme Court uh, Justice Scalia actually used 24 multiple times in defenses against uh, in defenses of torture as policy and basically saying like nobody would convict Jack Bauer I mean come on and that's kind of crazy yeah. when we see that like hey there's a Supreme Court justice who's utilizing essentially like a drama TV yeah, show fictional character. To, to inform real policy um, there's been, there's been the the recent uh, stuff with the uh, the uh, Trump's taped up women at the border thing in vans. Um, it's been interesting because that doesn't seem to have actually happened in a meaningful like sense of reality, but it is in Sicario too. Uh-huh. So that right. also becomes a question: like, how much are we being informed by reality? How much are we being informed by pop culture? Where's sort of line between those? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and when we're taking pop culture as reality. Right. Because, well, of course, they're not going to put it in a film or a TV show unless it's happened. Right. That's right. Yeah. It, that, that seems like it makes sense. And again, <laughs> especially if you're not thinking too hard about right. it. Right? right. Like, especially if you don't sit there and code and think about, like, well, robots yeah. don't have windpipes. Um, if you don't think too hard about it, it can kind of slide into inform because, you know, unless you're. Uh, reading testimony from various experts on the thing, how else are you going to be informed as to your opinion on torture as policy? Right. Um, one of the interesting things that we also found um, that's often overlooked, especially in uh, public opinion polling about torture, is that it's rarely, if ever, considered whether or not the victim actually has the information or is capable of doing the thing that they are asked to right. do. Right. Um, and this is one of the big problems with torturous policies because the person who doesn't have the information and the person who doesn't want to tell you the information yet give you the same answer. Right. So how do you sort those out? Yeah. And you end up just sort of torturing perpetually the person who had no information because, well, it's impossible to tell. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things that we found, we thought, well, maybe, you know, protagonists are less likely to torture people who don't have the information. Maybe that's one of these norm things. Um, no, uh, 84% of the time, um, the, per, uh, the victim was capable of complying. Like, it's very rare, actually, that, um, uh, that the victim of torture actually doesn't, isn't capable of complying right. in that sense. Interesting. Um, which we found interesting that, yeah. like, yeah, we don't consider that possibility too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, even more rarely does torture actually, like, backfire in any meaningful way for the torturer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one James Bond movie in which uh, he tortures and eventually kills, because the guy doesn't give him information, um, a victim who turns out to be a fellow British Secret Service, whatever they're called, agent, um, and, you know, ends up getting some, like, slight ramifications for it. But by the end of the movie, he's still Bond, and it's still right. fine. Right, yeah, and it's okay. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty much the sum total of ramifications that we have seen for torturers wow. across, like, 200 movies. Wow. Well, uh, talking about uh, torture in films, uh, 200 films over the course of a 10-year 
uh, span the top 200 films as these were popular films, box office successes uh, as it relates to uh, the money makers. Um, again, again, introduce your name and uh, introduce yourself and how people can find out information about you if they want. Oh, uh, Casey Delahanty. Um, I'm the Global, Global Studies Director here at Gardner-Webb. Um, you are more than welcome to uh, look me up either on my, my Twitter at Casey Delahanty or my website, CaseyDelahanty.com, or come on down to Gardner-Webb. Let's chat. Like. Any final thoughts or comments about uh, this uh, this paper that uh, that you and of course once again mention your your colleague that you uh, worked with sure. as well, um, uh, Aaron Carnes at University of Alabama. Uh, so one of the things that we do want to do going forward, uh, so we're limited in, in being able to say whether there's causality here, whether or not this is actually changing people's opinions, right? So we're we're just basically like this is how movies present torture. Uh, so f- going forward, we're actually going to be doing some experimental work to look at whether or not, like, the, you know, put people in the lab and see see whether or not sort of watching these films hmm. actually changes people's opinion Interesting. on the uh, efficacy of torture. So, as with any good film, uh, you're going to have a sequel. Yes, And so indeed. it's the same way with this paper. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, well, Casey, thanks for uh, joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, as always, uh, just fascinating to hear what you're working on. And oh, uh, really, really, thanks so much. Thanks for and, having me. And for those out there listening, we appreciate that as well. You can always email us, info at wgwg.org. And this has been Cinema Scene right here on Gardner Web University Radio. I'm Noel T. Manning II, uh, Casey Delahante. Uh, thank you so much. Till next time, that's a wrap.